Today's readings are from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 12, page 860 in your pew When Adam's sin, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spreads everyone, for everyone's sin. And our next reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, that's page 4 in the Bibles. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked so delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, Oh, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. But who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Oh, it was the woman who gave me the fruit first, and then I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. May God bless his readings this morning. Amen. Thanks, Maya. And a warm welcome to anyone else listening on uh, podcast or uh, YouTube, and some are listening live. Uh, and it's great you're here. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come and look at your word this morning, uh, looking at Adam and Eve in particular, uh, look at, uh, is it critical to believe in an original Adam and Eve? Lord, I pray there be diversity of views even in this building this morning. I pray firstly for me that what I would say would be biblically faithful and true. Uh, it would give some context to the things going on, but it would also give confidence in your word, confidence in who you are and the authority of it. And so, Lord, as we uh, continue this series in Romans, we do ask that I would decrease uh, and that you would increase this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a, well, over the last two weeks, I was uh, at uh, a couple of presbytery things. We're connected to this Presbyterian denomination, doing also presbytery commitments. And they're wonderful, good-hearted churches. I am very, very thankful uh, to be here at St Andrews Gerald. It was at, at um, the Timaru Preston. Wonderful ministers doing a good job. But it was just a smaller, the smaller, older age congregation. I'm so thankful for the kids and families we have here for the gospel life and gospel heart. We are very privileged. Do pray for other churches, especially Presbyterian churches in the region. They need a work of the Spirit for renewal and restoration. And I was very pleased that Jason's able to continue on the series on Romans. We're working as a team. It's great. Jason, I just so love having Jason on staff. It's been like, every day is like Christmas Day for me at the moment uh, with Jason. He's been really, really good. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, so without any further ado, let's get into this. Uh, so we're carrying on uh, with our series uh, on Romans, and we're looking at one verse in Romans. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. So the Bible is a meta-narrative. It's a big story that makes bold claims about humanity, our past, our present, and our future. It makes bold claims about our identity and purpose that I have become increasingly convinced over the decades of my life that it gives the best picture of the human condition. But, but a key part of the story, of the story, of our story, is it true? Uh, so is the Genesis account, is Adam and Eve, uh, can you believe in a real Garden of Eden? Is it plausible? Is it just a fairy tale for the gullible? And so, uh, and what about evolution and so forth? So just this morning, though we will probably be touching on this as the other weeks we zip through uh, Adam and Eve, I want to do four things this morning, and uh, it'll be a little uncomfortable. You'll hear a couple of quotes that everyone's going to possibly disagree with, but I'm going to do it because it's going to hopefully give you some uh, context of it. So the first thing I want to do is we're going to look at one of the very early Christians, how the early Christians interpreted the text, and the strengths and weaknesses of his approach, or the... Uh, advocates of his approach and the critics of his approach. That some thought, this is great, this is exactly the way to read, to read Genesis. And they all said, no, this is terrible. And, um, and you'll, you'll get to see uh, what he was doing and why he was doing. And, and then I've got a lovely quote from creation.com which didn't like his approach. And you'll see, and, and this great thing will give context to how people read Genesis. Then, secondly, uh, we'll have a brief comment on evolution as it can come up in relation to Adam and Eve. And I'm um, and I know this will probably uh, close doors for me in university and politics, but I think uh, evolution's got some serious issues. Uh, that's going on YouTube, so I'll probably make myself world famous there. Three, I'll give my personal view and argue that we should have a high view of the existence of Adam and Eve in the garden. They are real historical events. So you get to know what I think. This is what we, that's the text we're looking at, Adam and Eve. So I'm just going to put my stake in the ground there. And then four, lastly, look at Adam's sin, so accurately pictures the reality of the human condition today. And we'll really be getting into that number four. I'm only going to touch on that this morning. We're going to get in uh, to that over the next few weeks. And that's because and we're, doing, we're getting into that because that's what Romans is getting into. That's what Paul is like. He's connecting Adam and Jesus Christ. It's a big story. And Paul is giving the fullest account of the gospel. And as he's working his way through He's going right back to the creation account, and why not? Because that's what Jesus did as well. So first, how have Christians interpreted the text of creation over the many centuries? So why ask this question? Well, if you are a Christian, you love Jesus, yes, ultimately, this is really important, you shouldn't be looking to me as your authority. Don't believe our list of I will get things wrong from time to time. Right? Not Jason and I like this, but we don't agree on everything, and that's good. There's a natural diversity that's always been the case. Uh, are we wrong? Jason is possible he could be wrong at some point, but I haven't seen that note. But God is never wrong, right? Does that make sense? And God's word is true and sure. But it is good sometimes to see how early Christians have interpreted the text, because often sometimes the very debates, the very tensions, the very questions that we're debating today have been asked thousands or hundreds of years ago, and you get to set it as context. It's quite interesting. So on, on youth group on Thursday night, we've got one of the kids, I'll just get his first name, Chris, and he was, I was getting into, he didn't know the terms, into free will and, this, and free will and the sovereignty of God, Arminianism, Calvinism debate. He was like, so if God answers all our prayers and we have this thing, but he already knows what the answer of those prayers are, and if he's already powerful and he's already decided, then why should we pray? If he pray, how does that, how, how does that work? I thought, 
You've been asking stuff. Christians have been asking for hundreds of years. And there's two different camps with different interpretations of it. And today, there are whole denominational streams on it. And so uh, the question he was asking, though he didn't know it, was a question that had been asked by millions of Christians and there's different perspectives on it. And so we're going to have a look this morning at Oregon of Alexandria, who was by many accounts, uh, whether, even if he's wrong, he was still a, pretty, a genius who lived in the third century. And he, he was a super smart guy. He'd given his life to Christ. And his big mission in life was to reach the Roman pagan elites with the gospel. He wanted to see the, those Roman pagan elites, all the philosophers, the, the, the Platonic philosophers, those Greek towers of intellect. He wanted to see the one for Christ. And so there was letters that was a letter written by Celsius, who was a second century critic, Roman critic of Christianity. He wrote this book called Against Christians. So Oregon was like, yeah, I'm going to take you on. So he wrote a book called Against Celsius. What a great name for a book. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're on keyboard. Right. So here the second, and he wrote this book, and he was taken on. So Celsius was saying, who believes this Bible? Like Celsius has got in and read the entire Bible, all the New Testament manuscripts. So Celsius was an intelligent, informed critic of the Bible. He wasn't foolish. And Celsius was saying, look at this creation account. You know, the sun and the moons was created after the third day. Who would believe this in this Garden of Eden? This is just crazy stuff. And so and we go through all the other things. That, and so, and so uh, Oregon replied and responded to it. And some people loved his response. And some Christians really don't like his response. And that has been the echo for the last 2,000 years. And so what was his response? Oregon was basically making the claim that when God was writing the Bible, he was writing the Bible for all people, for all ages. And it was to be, in a way... Uh, that was to be understandable for all humans. And so he considered the us and me like a little baby or a little six-year-old. And God is this huge adult, super intelligent, and he was explaining complex truths to little children. So in other words, the Genesis account, according to Oregon, would be like is if we were explaining your, your young six- or seven-year-old child goes, where did I come from and how does this work? And you were to give an answer on the human reproductive cycle, that's all I shall say, and you were to give it in an appropriate age way. The Oregon was saying, in effect, that God was giving the Genesis account in an, in an appropriate way. So let's have a look at a quote on this. Infants learn to crawl before they walk, or so they say. Ancient Christian theologians, not actually, that's some of them, not all, had a similar theory about the sacred text of Scripture as a baby talked to infant human rights, said Oregon of Alexandria. Is God speaking to our species like an adult to a child, matching our intellectual limitations? So you have to get, don't get, don't, if you have to agree with Oregon, I'm going to get to his critics in a moment. Just, just follow Oregon's argument, then we'll critique it. And then and it gets you an idea of the same argument. So basically, Oregon was arguing the Bible wasn't, the Genesis account wasn't answering the what question, it was answering the why question. Why did God create the world? Why does this world seem so unjust? What is the purpose of life in this world and what happens afterwards? And so the next one here, on first principles and against Celsius, Oregon presented the main doctrines of Christianity and defended against pagan accusations. Oregon opposed the idea that the creation story should be interpreted as a literal historical account of God created the world. And he was doing it against Celsius and saying, no, no, there's great truths here in Genesis. And this is a real humdinger of a quote from Oregon, which rolls a lot of Christians up 2,000 years ago and today. 
Uh, now, what man of intelligence who believes that the first and second and third day of creation existed without the sun, moon, and stars? So Oregon is saying, no, no, no. This is a, a God is explaining great truths to humans. Not everyone liked Oregon's response. Christians are like, no, you cannot do that with the Genesis account. You are taking in, you're, you're allegorizing. Well, if you do that, you could do it to the entire Bible. Is it myth? It's fact. It's real thing. And so this is a quote from creation.com, uh, which was reflecting uh, crit critiques today, but actually also 2,000 years ago. Some early church fathers' rejection of the literal days of Genesis was not based on the biblical text, but on outside influences, just like the old long-age compromise today, which is based on imposing long-age science upon Scripture, Oregon and Augustine belonged to the Alexandrian school, which was prone to allegorization, largely because of their Neoplatonic philosophy. So do you guys get, can you just follow along? Because you often find in today, these, these two camps are around today. Is that fair? Are you with me? It's like when Chris asks, what about the sovereignty of God and free will? Well, there's, there's two more or less camps of answering that. And what was happening, and that's why it's always good, I'm not here to change anyone's mind or what you think about it, all I'm simply saying is the questions you have asked have already been asked 1,800 years ago, and there has been uh, some debate about it. And so Oregon, and I, and I have to say, Oregon did get it wrong on some things. I, I think he was buying, actually, into Neoplatonic uh, beliefs. Uh, and he had some... And, but the sad thing is, is that some of his wild speculations he just put out there and they got written down and, and then he's been known for those wild speculations rather than 99% of awesome stuff that he's good. I hope that I don't get known for my wild speculations, but just my love of Jesus, love of his word. I will get things wrong at times and Oregon could get things wrong. He, and Oregon was, um, he was tortured. He was so influential in reaching Roman pagans, the emperor put a death uh, sentence to got him, but they then decided not to kill him they wanted to torture him until he, re he recanted the Christian faith. He never recanted the Christian faith, and he died uh, a broken man. So can you understand the two different viewpoints that have echoes over the last 2,000 years? This tension has been around, and I imagine there will be some people in this room who have both perspectives. So it's aiming just to get that's a sense of where things have been at. It's not, you're asking questions that have been asked over the last 2,000 years. Right, now that's the next one here we're going to get to is what about evolution? Didn't life come about by evolution? I think one of the things that I would say is that as Christians we can feel, or maybe it's just me, I'll learn this personally, I can feel insecure, oh, they've got all the universities, they've got all this evidence, they've got all these things and believing in, that, in, in God and believing in that and rejecting any sense of evolution. It's like, oh, it makes me so foolish and, and it's embarrassing and how can I possibly believe in an Adam and Eve and so forth. So what I want to do is, and this is a very short clip, is this is going to be Richard Dawkins. Now, Richard Dawkins, it's really important, he's not some random biology teacher. This is the top atheist. He is going to bring the best knockdown argument for evolution you've ever heard. Are you guys ready? You brace to lose your faith. He's going to explain how non-life turned into life with his own words. And this is not the only time he said it. And so I want to convince you. We can convince you with the awe and wonders of his thing. And you're going to hear some pretty amazing stuff from Richard Dawkins. So without any further ado, let's turn the lights off and hear him. Well, then who did create the heavens and the earth? You immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? Well, um... By a very slow process. Well, how did it start? Nobody knows how, how, how it started. 
We know the kind of event that it must have been. We know the sort of event that, that must have happened for the origin of life. And what was that? It was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Right, how did that happen? I told you, we don't know. So you have no idea how it started? No, 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 no nor has anybody. Nor has anyone else. What do you think is the possibility that, there, that intelligent design might turn out to be uh, the answer to some issues in uh, genetics or in, well, in evolution? It could come about in the following way. It could be that uh, at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization e evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this, this planet. Um, now, th that is a possibility and an intriguing possibility. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the, um, at the detail, details of biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. Wait a second. Richard Dawkins thought intelligent design might be a legitimate pursuit? Um, and that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. I'm standing here with Richard Dawkins' explanation for how life got here. Aliens. If you remember the movie Expelled, the end of the movie, he was interviewed by Ben Stein. Now Richard Dawkins, as you know, is the top, most well-known atheist in the world. And when Stein asked him, how did life begin here on Earth? Dawkins suggested aliens. Now why did he say that? Because he knows that the genetic code in particular, the genome, and even the simplest of life is thousands of volumes long. There's no way natural forces could have created that. Of course, it's a problem for Dawkins to suggest an alien. Why? Because it just puts the question off one more step. Who created the alien? An alien is somebody inside the universe. God, of course, is somebody outside the universe who is uncreated, but an alien is created inside the universe. So why would Dawkins suggest an alien? I don't know, I can only speculate, but one of my speculations is this. You see, an alien does not bring moral accountability with him, but God does. Perhaps Dawkins just does not want to bow his knee to a creator. I don't know, but if he would follow the evidence where it leads, it wouldn't lead to an alien, it would lead to the uncreated creator who created this universe and created Richard Dawkins, and me and you as well. Now have come a fervent atheist who believe in aliens. You heard the best argument. I have no idea, but it's probably aliens. That's not my words. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like I, I, you could say, it's crazy. And he hasn't just said that one, he's said it in others, and there's been a number of others who have said it. Why have they said that? Because it, they, they have come to the view that effectively it's impossible to get non-life to turn into life without something else happening, intelligent design. And so Richard Dawkins is hoping that aliens have done it and the aliens on that far, far galaxy from many years ago, evolutionary Darwinian processes, as he said, did it by chance. So therefore, there's no need for God. But may I suggest, think about that. How much faith? Is there evidence for these aliens and how they've done that? No. He's done that on blind faith. Right? And so, uh, to me, 100% atheistic naturalism, how non-life became life from nothing, he, he basically said, well, it might have been aliens. So point one, yes, Christians have been discussing the Genesis text for 2,000 years. And yes, there is a debate. And yes, there will be views on that. And people have arguments about the days and so forth. And you, most of you here will probably already have an entrenched view 
I simply got to bring perspective. The stuff you've been asking has been around for a long time. It's like what Chris asked on Thursday night. This the discussions about sovereignty and free will, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Secondly, may I suggest, do not be in awe of evolution. Evolution, you've got to hear the argument from the top guy. I, I was underwhelmed by it. And so I actually, he's acknowledging that ultimately there has to be an intelligent designer. But may I suggest Richard Dawkins, not that he'll be listening to this on YouTube, it's not aliens. It is a God who created the heavens and the earth. Three, I want to um, um, argue that I, point three is now bringing what do I think about Adam and Eve? And as I said, I, I actually believe that Adam and Eve were real historical people. It was a real historical event. Uh, so, uh, uh, and I want to suggest, yes, Christians have had debate about ages of earth and so forth. And for me, the Big Bang theory and the fine-tuning of the universe do point to God. But in relation to Adam and Eve, or potentially God, and the whole creation, whole universe created out of nothing, and all the cosmic laws, so to me, mainstream science does point to God. So I'm willing to give a little bit of wiggle room on that because the early church fathers have. However, I also could be wrong. The planet could be exactly 6,000 years old and everything literal. And so, so and the Alexandrian school of Oregon and Alexander could be wrong. They could have been taking in Neoplatonic ideas just like creation.com. There's a bit of wiggle room, a little uncertainty. Jason is certain. Uh, he is certain that's a young earth and he's certain all those things. So there you go. You've got a bit of a perspective. But on Adam and Eve, I actually do believe they were real people. Why do I believe that? Firstly, I believe Jesus believed in a real Adam and Eve. Jesus argued, he said he talked about Adam and Eve, Paul talked about Adam and Eve. And so for me as a Christian, I have a high view of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. And Jesus said, if you won't believe Moses, you won't believe me. Moses seems to argue for Adam and Eve. And so now I want to play a short clip. This is of um, um, uh, Tim Keller. And so Tim Keller is also agreeing with me about Adam and Eve. And Tim Keller is, is sitting in a, it's the, um, he's having a, a He's been brought into New York City, and he's having here a debate. It's not a debate, a discussion with his top professors, and he's been asked the worst and hardest questions for hours, grilled on every hard question you can possibly imagine. And here he's asked a question about Adam and Eve. So he's just had grilled with question after question, all the different topics, sexuality, uh, what about other religions, isn't it cruel to send people to hell? And then he gets questioned on Adam and Eve, and I want to hear, we're going to hear him right now. Do you mean that literally? Like, was there a, a fall of man when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit? I think so. In fact, actually, um, there's almost scientific proof that everybody on the earth right now did descend from two people. I mean, in other words, we're all, we are all descended from two parents. And that, you know what the scientists who know that call them? Adam and Eve. Right. So, yeah, I mean, other, you know, now, so anyhow. Um, so there was a Garden of Eden, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, there has to be. There had to be. You know. I mean, when you read when you read the Gospel, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, very often the same incident is told, and it, it doesn't contradict. And yet, it's so interesting to see what one person, what one account leaves out. It's so right. fascinating. So, gee, if that really happened, if Luke said that happened. Why didn't Mark mention it? And the answer is Mark didn't explain. So there could be a whole lot of other things that happened back then that we're not told about. It's a need-to-know basis we're given. So I think there was a uh, there was an original there was an original place where we turned away from God 
and that that has been passed down to us. Well, here's something that's always bugged me. Why did God put that tree in the garden to begin with? I, I you know what? Finally, you've asked me a question I can really answer well. <laughs> because, I, you know, I've been acting like all of my answers are good, but, you know, I know that some of them are better than others. No. And you won't get to hear his answer that, but you can go on to Google and, and, and see Tim Callis on whole two hour of being grilled with every question and how he answers them. And again, Tim Keller, like Oregon, like Augustine, like me, we're fallible. I wouldn't necessarily agree with all of Tim Keller's responses, uh, but the Word of God is not fallible. It is reliable and trustworthy. So I'm of the view, because some of my ministry colleagues believe Adam and Eve and Methuselah are mythical figures. I believe this, that on, when they, they step, presuming that they love the Lord and are going to heaven, when they turn up in heaven, there's going to be Methuselah and Adam and Eve going, surprise! Uh, that's my view, that they're real, the real people, real historical events. But here's the thing, what really gets me. Richard Dawkins can have his aliens and that's fine. There's no evidence for that. I saw on the Met service, did anyone see the Met service with the Murray gods? Um, 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 Okay, maybe just me. Was, uh, the Met Service put this, I think it was the last cyclone that came through and devastated the north. And they were talk it, was, it, was a, it was a high view of all the Murray gods about why the cyclone had happened. You can Google it. Murray gods, Met Service, and you'll get the picture. I thought, why would an official government document be promoting all the Murray gods as fact? That's what it was doing. Yeah. Um, I know that maybe they didn't really, they were just doing it for cultural reasons. I, I get that. But, it was, but what was there was stated as fact. Murray gods are okay, aliens are okay. But if you believe in Adam and Eve, you're foolish. Uh, you just uh, worked that out. I mean, it's, it, to me, uh, it just seems uh, 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 inconsistency. And so I'll just go back also that uh, Augustine, who did have, I'll go back to his quote here. This is Augustine. It's all more striking. And you don't have to agree with Augustine, but this is, he's with me on this. And I'm with him on that. Is in the light of the preference for a non-ritual spiritual reading of Genesis that Augustine still maintained Adam and Eve were literal humans created by God. The spiritual figurative reading of scripture did not erase the existence of literal realities. And that even some of those early church fathers that did allegorize the days, when they got to Adam and Eve and other things, they were really right down the line. And actually, I found on creation.com, because when I went into the quotes, I wanted to say, right, what do you say creation.com to this? I knew they had great answers. And I found out from creation.com that uh, Augustine was also a person who believed in a young earth. There you go. Uh, so, uh, so here we go. So this is... The, a chance to reflect on the four different points here. All right, one, we looked at one of the very early Christians, how he interpreted the text, and the strengths and the weaknesses of his approach that have had its echoes over the centuries. You guys get that? You get to see different perspectives and the different arguments and camps. One was saying that God was explaining really complex truths to us people. You don't have to read it literally. And they all said, no, you can't do that to the Bible. You're taking Greek ideas, you're taking Platonic ideas and pagan ideas, and you're having that as the authority over the Scripture. And if you do that, if you allegorize Genesis, you can allegorize anything. Yeah. All right? And so you get to see uh, those two camps in existence today. Two, we looked at Richard Dawkins' comments in relation to his best ideas of how life got started. Aliens. Three, I gave my view and argued that we should have a high view of the existence of Adam and Eve and the garden. They're real historical events. Richard can have his aliens. The Met Service can have their Murray gods. I'm going to have my Adam and Eve. Four, and lastly, a look at how Adam and Eve's sin so accurately portrays the reality of the human condition. Time's up, so I'll just finish with this. I actually believe not only were they real historical events, but they also explain so much about what is happening in our world today and the human condition. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. 
as we go through Romans, Lord, we pray that, Lord, that you would speak to us. And Lord, I pray that, Lord God, that this morning as we walk out of here, it's been a bit more of a, a teaching time. I pray that, Lord, that your word and the truthfulness of it would resonate in our hearts this morning and that we would carry this out in Jesus' name. Amen.